Welcome to the Making the Media podcast. I'm your host, Craig Wilson, and thank you so much for joining us for our latest episode. This time around, we're delving deep into both the business and creative side of news production, exploring in detail the challenges and opportunities which the industry is facing. To do that, I'm joined by Mark Harrison, who is Chief Executive of the DPP. Mark started out as a historian before working as a filmmaker and has held many senior roles within the production sector, including a spell as Head of Arts at the BBC in the UK and as Director of Transformation for BBC Design and Engineering. He was instrumental in the creation of the DPP, initially defining technical standards, before it became the international business network it is today. His organisation has just produced a series of detailed reports into the news industry, called Tomorrow's News. So Mark joined me to discuss the findings, but I began by asking him to initially outline the work of the DPP. We really do two things for the industry. We, we, we generate and share strategic insight, which is, which is very real because it comes from people in the industry. So it's not like some external consultancy coming and taking a look. It's actually generated by insiders. You know, you've been a part of, of this work yourself, Craig. Um, and then in the process of doing that, we also network people. And although we have a very strict policy that, for instance, a vendor can't make a sales pitch, in one of our workshops or one of our events or meetings. Nonetheless, they will be in conversation with either their actual customers or people they would like to have as customers. And that's where they build relationships and they quite often then go on to, you know, to do business together. Obviously, one of the things which the DPP does in terms of you know, sharing that knowledge around is, is work on certain projects and produce reports. So there's obviously the, the Tomorrow's News project that we've been involved in you know, with yourselves. So tell us a little bit about really how that came about. Why, why do you think there's a need to have this kind of project, to, to have that kind of discussion about what the future is for news? Yeah, actually, the, the genesis of that is a great example of, of how we try to work. You know, our antennae are up and out. The whole time we're, we're, we're listening to what people are telling us they really care about. Um, and we also observe what seem to be core issues. And uh, you know, we um, were noticing that uh, in many respects, um, the sort of challenges around the modernization of production processes and the application of technology to production in a rapidly changing content environment sort of found its kind of apotheosis in news because um, you know on it on the one hand it's a it's like a factory environment it has to be because of the sheer volume of content that it that receives and then and then and then puts back out um, and in that sense, it makes it very susceptible to the application of technology, one would think. But also, um, a lot of news operations are historic. Um, this is like you know, the old, old world of broadcasting, really, and, um, and therefore almost inherently quite difficult to modernize. So you have this immediate tension, which is, which is really interesting. But beyond that, you know, what we observed was that for many broadcasters, particularly established broadcasters and national broadcasters, and, and particularly those that have public service remits, news is almost like it's, it's, it's the core part of their being. 
you know, when the regulators have come in and stripped out everything else, or when the need for, you know, financial constraints have meant they've outsourced lots of other things, they'll still have news. When everything else is gone, there's still news. And so there's almost like this, um, this sort of, the identity of broadcasters almost gets tied up in news. And, and what we observed that was that with this, it was almost as if all the, all both the, the, the strengths and challenges, the strengths and tensions of, of culture within an organization, within a, a broadcast organization would be kind of personified in what was happening around news. Um, so it, it felt like a, a really great time to try and dig into exactly where the world of news is right now. And I must confess, because um, it wasn't me that did the work here, it was my, my great colleagues, Edward Qualtro um, and Rowan de Pomeray who actually did the work. Um, but you know, what I'd said to them was, oh, it's gonna be great. One of the things that we're gonna take out from all this is we'll be able at the end of this project to describe a best practice workflow for a modern news organization. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, yeah, news is a very interesting area. So let's let's dig into a little bit of detail then um, around the, the, the project first. first. First of all, explain a little bit of the methodology of actually how you've done it, because there are there's a series of reports, I think there's three reports that are coming out. Um, how have they been done? You know, how do you do the discussions? How does that kind of work together? And then maybe we'll get into the meat of what the reports themselves actually say. Yeah, sure. Well, two of the reports were done by a classic DPP methodology and then one was slightly different. So um, we did one which was called the, uh, the news business, as it suggests, sort of you know where the potential now is and the um, relationship between making news content and trying to make money. Um, or, or if, you, if you're in public service to, to run a, you know, um, an efficient operation. Um, and then the other called Making the News was about the, the technology and workflow of, of modern news production. And what we did for both of those was to um, identify uh, experts within um, DPP membership. So from a huge range of both vendor companies and also news makers. I think you know, most of the most famous um, news content organizations from the agencies like Reuters and, and AP and PA right through to the likes of CNN and the BBC, but also abroad, you know, TV2 in Denmark, ZDF in Germany, RTL in Netherlands, um, huge, huge range of news organizations. Um, and uh, we, we you know, we reached out to the ex those experts and asked them to come together in workshops. And this is very much the way we work. So um, we would bring into the workshop a whole series of what we regarded as being key questions. And then we would, you know, share, share those with our participants and, and get their feedback and their discussion and, um, and synthesize uh, that discussion into, into reports. Um, the, the other piece I mentioned, which was a scene setter that we did, is something slightly different, where actually we, uh, we, we wanted to sort of set the scene with um, a, a real-world picture of what it's like to be making news today. So we got four very senior editorial figures together um, for a roundtable conversation. 
and uh, you know we we recorded that and then summarized that back out in a report and that was really great because there were only four of them so they could go quite deep on what it, on what it means to try and be a news organization today. I think one of the things that, that came out particularly of that discussion was a bit of a discussion about what actually constitutes news. I think this is something that a lot of organizations themselves are, are struggling about because you mentioned earlier on that news is core to many organizations a lot of organizations particularly public service organizations very much founded on news it's absolutely the, the core of what they the core of what they do so i'm interested in that looking at the business side of things and saying okay so news is core to what we do news is also quite expensive to make so you know what were the discussions what are the kind of findings to the report about how to make news in a sense pay its way Oh, well, you've got straight into the big one there, Craig. Um, what I found really interesting here was that if you listen to the editors-in-chief, you know, what they say is nowadays a news organisation has to go to where its audience is. You can no, no longer expect the audience to come to you. There's very little appointment to view, certainly not from the younger audience. It's a mobile audience. Your competition isn't other news organizations. Your competition is anything else on a mobile phone. What they call kind of adjacent content, which I think is a great phrase, actually. Who knows what that adjacent content might be? It might be a game, it might be another piece of video, who knows? And they've become very adept at doing this um, and working out how to make credible and effective news content, particularly for a younger audience in, on platforms like TikTok. Trouble is, where the audience is, isn't where the money is. Where the money is, is actually still overwhelmingly in linear services, in longer form content. Um, so we're in this place where the, like, the historic model is still paying the bills, um, but the new model is, is where relevance is maintained. And what's going to be so fascinating for the evolution of news is, is sort of for how long you go on running with, with both those, those horses. You know, is there going to be a point of crisis? Um, or are we actually experiencing something a little bit like, you know, we remember those of us of a certain age when video on the internet first became a big thing and felt like nobody under the age of 30 was paying for anything they seemed to be ripping off content everywhere including you know all the big uh high quality series and a lot of people said at that time well this is the future you see young people will never pay for content well it actually was a phase and now young people do pay for content and you know it could be that actually we find that 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 news does manage to balance this out, and we find that younger or what you know younger audiences actually do start to come to subscription services or to appointment to view services. You know that's going to be fascinating. What are organisations, news organisations, saying about how they try to balance this out? Because as you said, is that linear television or or reach? I guess if you look, you're a sort of public service broadcaster, is still the biggest driver. Yet 
that audience is is aging with the best will in the world. I mean, Mark, with the best will, you and I are the, they're not the youngest, but you know, I get a lot of my news on the, my phone now, traveling a lot of times. That's just that's just how things how things are. So where where are they having to balance? We have to deliver content for these other platforms, along with we still have to do the core business. Is it really business efficiency? Is what they're really looking for now when it comes to the technology landscape to allow them to deliver across all these platforms? Well, one of the things that was said very clearly was that business efficiency goes straight to the bottom line. You know, that, that if we can be more efficient, then we can make more content and get more content out there. Um, I don't, where exactly the out there should be, I don't think anybody really knows. One, one great quote from the work was, uh, was this, we've got loads of hooks in the water and we're all going fishing. Um, and you know, exactly which, which ones will, uh, will bring in the fish kind of remains to be seen. Um, but in the meantime, operational efficiency seems key. However, I think a lot, what I was getting back from the work was that a lot of, of, of news organizations are still finding that very, very hard to do. Um, and actually, not so hard to do in the news gathering, where there has been a revolution in, in how news is actually uh, collected out there in the field. And it's incredible what people achieve now with such lightweight and low cost resources. Um, but but in the newsroom itself, and that's where I think many people involved in this work would say there has been far less change than they would have expected. To pick up what you said there, remote working is not something that's new in, in journalistic terms. You know, everyone has always gone out to, to, to gather the news. Um, but what I think of change, of course, in the last few years has been the impact of COVID remote and distributed working across the whole broadcast industry, not just, you know, specifically in news. Do you get the sense that people think that has, has changed that dynamic forever, that we're not going to go back to being by, based in newsrooms? People are going to rely a lot more on connected technologies to allow them to work effectively. Well, interestingly, one of the comments that was made was that perhaps actually if you like the COVID effect is already wearing off and the newsrooms are going slightly backwards, um, which I found really interesting. Uh, you know, as, as, as we gradually return to more um, in-person working, I think there's a distinction here between, again, between news gathering, where you, know, you just feel that, that that reliance upon delivering back from the field has become stronger and stronger. Nobody, nobody's gonna wait for you to bring this stuff back home. It's gonna be from, from, you know, you're gonna be sending it back almost as you're making it, not even after you finish making it, it's, it's coming back whilst you're in the field. And that's why things like bonded, you know, cellular, te cellular technology has been so important and 5G will be so important and, and, and so forth, that, that contribution model. Um, but when it comes to the news factory, if anything, it, it looks to me, and this does, this does actually fit with other work the DPP's done in the last couple of years, it, it looks to me as if um, that hub model will become actually stronger than ever. The need to have people in close proximity 
actually becomes, if anything, even greater because you're trying to get always now a smaller and smaller number of people, because that's the way everything goes, is, is fewer people do more, you know, to collaborate more and more tightly around more, you know, more and more different kinds of output. That will always be more effective if you actually sat right side by side. Going back to what we said earlier on about news being core, is it then the case that change management is a fundamental if people really want to implement lasting, effective change to deliver, to maybe change that mindset from thinking linear to thinking digital? Is, is that something that, that people are wrestling with as well? Yeah, yeah. I do think this looks like just a huge change management challenge. And you know, one bit of me wishes we could sort of put aside our day job in the DPP and just sort of <laughs> go somewhere and see whether or not we can help. Um, because it's 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 almost painful to observe, you know, you know that that's sort of, there's tired cliches about, you know, trying to um, sort of redesign the car whilst the wheels are turning, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. But that is so true about the world of news; it never stops, and and you are measured as a news organisation on on being on it the whole time and being right you know, being accurate and effective, um, to, to be maintaining that culture of speed and responsiveness and reliability at the same time as trying to fundamentally change everything you do from a technological point of view, is, that is like the ultimate business change challenge. So I think we can't underestimate how big an ask this is. Um, but one of the things that, that got exposed here that, uh, I think took us all back quite a lot. Um, we didn't really count on was actually we saw more tension between the the customer community and the vendor community around this business transformation question than in any other area of the media industry, um, which I found fascinating. And essentially, what it comes down to is that. You know, we've got we've got broadcasters saying to um, their vendor partners, how, you know, how can we possibly um, create a fully integrated newsroom unless you start giving us totally different kind of tools that really are built for the modern journalist? And meanwhile, the vendors are saying to the broadcasters, how can we possibly help you change your workflows? when you are so resistant to change and you're still locked into kind of 1980s view of what the newsroom should be, you know, in, in, in these, all these different silos. And both parties kind of want change, but are finding it really difficult to sort of identify a common language and a starting point, perhaps because there is no room or appetite for a, an in-between state. So everybody needs to just tip into something brand new and that's so hard yeah one thing you, you mentioned right at the start again mark was perhaps at the start you thought we'll come out and there'll be a unified workflow that we can suggest and this will yeah. be how things were did, 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 did the report really just emphasize how complex news is and how complex the workflows are yeah absolutely um yeah how complex they are how how incredibly challenging it is to unify them because 
they never stay still. I mean, we know this to some extent around all content, but you know, even when a, a pre-recorded long-form film is delivered and it could be delivered with all its production metadata, but things will still be done to, to that piece of content subsequently. And that, that's always been a challenge, how you maintain the metadata you need and how you, you, know, you add in new metadata to help get that piece of content to your audience effectively. But that is nothing compared to news. You know, constantly changing and being reshaped and being, um, you know, added to and subtracted from and being put out to, to different platforms and markets. It was actually you, Craig, in one of our sessions that I think provided one of the best quotes of, of the work, which was that you said that metadata is the most important and the most boring word in news. And, you know, it's brilliantly put because you could see that from a journalist's point of view, it's like, oh, for heaven's sake, you know, really? I've, I've you know, I'm like pretty literally under fire and <laughs> I've got to get this story in. And you're telling me that unless I tag everything from the very beginning, then, you know, it's, it, it's going to inhibit the, 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 the journey of that content subsequently. Um, and yet those things are true. You know, that you cannot possibly extract the value from that news content that is going to, in the end, um, enable news to remain profitable unless you've got metadata. Yeah, it's very, very true. And um, what were people saying about the cloud and how they are looking to take advantage of that? Does that was that something that came up as part of the report? Yeah, it did. And uh, I think the view was that 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 is the next journey that has to happen. Um, I mean, yeah, let, let's take note that that the use of IP has has been spectacular in news. You know, rapid and dramatic and important adoption. So there's a it's another piece of revolutionary change that really has happened within news. Um, but whereas perhaps others have been focusing on cloud, IP I think has been more of the focus for the world of news. And, and it, it feels as if news is coming to the cloud a bit later, but everyone can see the potential for what somebody described as being a bureau in a MacBook. You know, that, that if you can virtualize both the content, where, where the content is, and the tools to, to work on that content, then the potential is enormous. Because like all other forms of media, agility is king. And that's what the cloud is best at. Would you say across the board that the challenges are universal? Or are they still specific to different geographies? That's a really great question. Um, it doesn't feel as if they're specific to different geographies, except insofar as public service news production is very much a European thing, certainly rather than a North American thing. Um, but I, I would I would say it it's more that you can see differences between, I guess, three groups. One is the kind of historic broadcaster and their news operation. Then there is the agency, which in many respects, the news agency is better placed on all this because that it's always lived or died by a story-centric view, basically. You know, it gathers content and then it has to mine that content out to all sorts of customers. 
So it's, it's in the DNA to do that. And, and some of the greatest modernization is happening in companies like PA and AP and Reuters and so forth. Um, and then there's the, there's the, like the, news the, the new generation of, of new suppliers. Uh, Vice Media um, doing some incredible work and a really important player. But you have to say, of course, we, we would have been talking to, to many others only a few years ago. I mean, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post would have been really important players. And, you know, we, we're, we're seeing with their story just how difficult you know, purely digital native news is. Um, we'll see whether the news movement, which is a you know, new operation in that space, can, can, um, can do better in that regard. Yeah, it certainly is a very difficult um, industry to, uh, to to make money with. It's a fantastic industry to be involved in. I've, I've been lucky enough to be involved in it for a very long time, Mark, um, and it's a great industry. Um, the reports are very, very detailed, and I would encourage everyone who's who's listening to this to you know to get the reports and to and to read through them. They contain a real a real wealth of information. If there's one thing you think that comes out from them, what do you think the, the big takeaway is was for you? Well, can I? Can I cheat? And that really annoying thing that uh, people do to, to very good interviewers like you, which is to say two things, because I want to say one thing which is about kind of the editorial and content side and one that's about the tech side. Um, it was it was a bit of a penny drop moment for me when my colleague Rowan said, you know, have you noticed that that in so generally in the media industry, production it hasn't really changed very much really you know for generations but massive amount of change in in how that content is handled and processed once it it sort of arrives at its commissioning entity at, at the broadcaster or the content platform and yet news seems to be the inverse of that news massive change has happened in in that production process in the creation in the creation process but then remarkably stuck at the point at which that content comes into the commissioning entity. So I thought that was a really, really great insight. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Um, and then sort of on, on the, the making of content side, what, what somebody said in one of our sessions was, um, you have to realize that the, the editorial community are the ones who want to go to the new platforms. And it's the business community that actually is wanting to stay more traditional. And again, that's actually an inverse of what you might expect, because you know, often it's said that it's actually editorial community that are very conservative, and it's the commercial teams that are trying to drive them towards some new markets. Um, and that's simply because news people, you know, they they want to get their news to the audience. And if if that means TikTok, it means TikTok. The fact that TikTok doesn't earn them a beam. It's kind of neither here nor there. Whereas their business colleagues are saying, no, hang on a second, we need our own app or we need our own platform or we need our own channel so that we can identify who we're giving content to. Um, we know whether or not we're engaging with them and also we can have advertising. Yeah, really, really interesting, Mark. So um, I think, as you know, there is one final question I ask everyone in the podcast, so I will ask it to you. Um, what is it, if anything, that keeps you up at night? What it is right now, Craig, is the uh, huge amount of revision I'm having to do for my 
uh, wine qualification um, course and exam that's coming up. Uh, I'm actually uh, rushing back from IBC on a Saturday night because I'm spending all of Sunday um, in, in uh, the second of three day long um, courses that then will culminate in an exam. And this is for the, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust level two certification. So uh, at the moment, I'm trying to work out how I can um, be doing grape work whilst also doing great work for the DPP. I'd also like to think there's a lot of practical involved in that exam as well. <laughs> we promise that we're going to get to taste uh, 43 different wines, which doesn't sound too bad. That sounds like my kind of exam. So thanks to Mark for joining the podcast and I would really urge you to download the reports to find out more. News is a critical industry for Avid, so check out the show notes for an article featuring key players from the BBC and ABC sharing their thoughts. And also check out the links to discover more about the story-centric capabilities of Media Central Collaborate and how it's bringing news teams closer together to enable new, efficient ways of working in the newsroom. Don't forget to subscribe to Making the Media to make sure you get notified when new episodes are released and please share with your friends and colleagues to spread the word about our new season. You can always reach me on social. I am CraigAW1969 on both Twitter and Instagram or email us. We are makingthemedia at avid.com. That's all for now. Thanks to our producer Matt Diggs and the rest of the team. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. My name is Craig Wilson. Join me next time for more Making the Media.